I was reading the other day uh, some cleric or priest or bishop said in response to a newspaper report that 25% of Christians who were interviewed about the resurrection said they didn't believe in it. And uh, this bishop, whoever he was, um, said this was okay if they didn't believe in it, but if they didn't believe in it, they weren't really, they weren't true Christians. So I thought about that, and I thought maybe that little news item contains quite a lot of uh, insight into into where we, where we can easily go wrong, how easy it is to go wrong. First of all, on the question of belief. Um, belief, the things we believe are important. Our belief system, the things we believe in. But there's more to our relationship to Christ than belief. The essential relationship with Christ, as in our essential relationship with anybody, is faith rather than belief. And we talk about a faithful marriage, a faithful friendship, a faithful commitment, and faithfulness, living out the faith we have in someone or something, our fidelity, that, that's what really matters. That's what makes the relationship. You could even say the relationship is the faith you put in each other. And uh, we are all unfaithful to some degree or other at times. It's difficult to be faithful. Um, but when we are unfaithful, we, we're not proud of it. And we know that we've damaged or hurt the faith of the relationship and we hope usually that it can be healed, it can be repaired. So faith seems to me much more about relationship and commitment and also about transcendence. When we make an act of faith in another person or in something that we're doing or being faithful to our spiritual practice, we are also opening ourselves to transcendence. Because if you're going to be faithful to something uh, when the sun is shining or the sun isn't shining, whether you're feeling in a good mood or a bad mood, whether you feel you made the right decision or the wrong decision, if we remain faithful to something, to someone, through hard times and good times, we are transcending, we are transcending the ego's natural uh, inclination to give up and run away or reject what it is not enjoying or what it does not feel it is getting satisfaction or fulfillment from for the time being. Now this doesn't mean that um, you will never change your mind or your heart about things you have committed yourself to. But it means that if that change comes, then you, 
you recognize it or you accept it. But it's not just you giving up and running away because you're not getting what you want. So faith seems to me more important in our Christian identity than just belief. Belief is important. Uh, what we believe sets standards and parameters and the symbols that we hold dear and true uh, are the sort of embodiment of, our, of certain beliefs, but they are more than just intellectual or catechism-type answers or f formulas. So beliefs are important because they express our values, uh, but what really matters in terms of our humanity is, uh, is our fidelity. So to say, just to even for those 25% of Christians to say they didn't believe in the resurrection, and for the bishop to say that then they weren't true Christians, it's maybe not quite as black and white as that on either side. If they say, I don't believe in the resurrection because it's absurd, because it's a myth, because for whatever number of reasons you don't believe in it, it's just far-fetched. You know, I can believe in the teaching of Jesus. I can believe in the dignity, the nobility of the cross and the way he died and his ability to forgive even those who were killing him. So I can accept all of that and I can live my life by those values. And that's enough for me. I don't need all of this mythical stuff that he came back from the dead and um, so on. So uh, that's it, that, that is a, a reasonable uh, response to the story of the resurrection, which comes at the end of the story, of course, that we've been following not only these last few days, but these last 40 days of Lent. And as with any belief, if it is rationally held, and it's not just a prejudice or a delusion, but something that's really a rational belief, we have to be open to having our minds changed any of our beliefs. There's a wonderful story even of Pope John XXIII, before he was Pope, coming back on the train from his sister's funeral and he was sitting with a secretary on the train and he was very low, he was feeling very sad. And then after uh, some time of sitting in silence, he just looked at his secretary and said, wouldn't it be sad if it were all an illusion? And it takes uh, deep faith to be able to admit the possibility that we are completely wrong about anything. That's always a possibility, and at times that possibility may seem stronger than at other times. It doesn't mean you're lacking in faith. It means that you're, 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 you're prepared to be open to your beliefs and your, uh, to your beliefs being tested. So 
even if one says, I don't believe, then we should at least be open to the possibility of having our minds changed. And it was Pope John the Twenty-Third, of course, who who had such, who had a, a deep enough faith faith to um, initiate the, the great reformation of the Catholic Church by calling the Second Vatican Council. So uh, maybe it isn't just a question of worrying about whether we believe or whether we can prove that the resurrection happened. Um, the it, it means being open to what is being communicated to us through the tradition, through the wisdom, and through the scriptures, and through each other's example, how we share and create communities of faith in which uh, we beliefs are held and tested and <coughs> explored and uh, where we, we grow in the faith together. We can't do this just as intellectual, isolated, you know, entrepreneurs. This is, these are things that have to be explored and shared and discovered in community. In the, there is really no Christian identity without uh, community. So, so perhaps we don't have to be too worried about whether we can prove the resurrection. Important thing is that we're open to the meaning of the story in which this is eventually the conclusion of the story. Because it wasn't the immediate conclusion of the story. The immediate telling of the life of Jesus in the Gospels didn't even mention the resurrection. That doesn't mean the resurrection, they thought that up as a, as a happy ending afterwards. <coughs> it was more that uh, there would have been no telling of the story without faith in the resurrection. That's precisely why they were talking about it 20, 30, 50, 60, 70 years after the resurrection. And then, quite understandably, it became natural and necessary to articulate that context of, of, the, of the telling of the community itself. They became more conscious of what, it, what they were doing and who they were. And, and when we read the uh, resurrection accounts in the Gospels, as we will tonight and in the coming days, uh, you can't help but be struck by the fact that they're a very different tone from the, the rest of the Gospels. It's a different language, it's a different, it's, it seems a little surreal, uh, but at the same time there is a, uh, a strength and a presence and a, a mystery, of course, a tangible mystery almost, in the, in the way, the, in the telling of the story and how we respond to it how we allow ourselves to be drawn into it will depend. When um, at the Good Heart Seminar uh, with the Dalai Lama some years ago, when we invited the Dalai Lama to comment on the Christian, on, on the Gospels, we gave him a number of texts to read 
which he did very bravely and beautifully. And one of the last texts, the last text was the resurrection. And he was quite intrigued by this. He, he hadn't <coughs> explored it so much before. And he had said, you know, he didn't know the Christian scriptures very well. So, But he read, he read this account very uh, sensitively and with great wisdom and insight and saw, you know, both the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the similarities uh, with Buddhist belief and Buddhist uh, ideas and the differences. And his conclusion was this was something unique. He said this is not uh, reincarnation and it's not resuscitation. And those are, those are two explanations you could have about the resurrection. That it's about some kind of reincarnation. Jesus comes back, uh, reincarnates in the community or in the people. And this is a, these are symbolic uh, accounts of that um, event or that process. Um, or, you know, the other more logical, scientific, sort of tabloid kind of explanation of the story is that uh, Jesus didn't really die on the cross, but he was taken down and resuscitated. And, um, you know, there are all, all sorts of stories um, have been invented to try to get around the challenges of the story. And, you know, just as stories have been invented about him going to study in the Himalayas and sitting at the feet of, of uh, gurus in, in, in India and so on. So um, we really have to, have to see how we approach our own interpretation of the story and how we allow it to, to touch us. And it really depends upon experience. We have to, we can begin by asking ourselves how we, have we experienced anything like resurrection in our own lives? And if you've lived for any period of time, you probably will after a few minutes reflecting on it, come up with some experiences of resurrection. Not the resurrection from the physical state of death, but uh, other kinds of death. The end of something, end of a relationship, the end of a phase of your life, the end of a career, uh, the end of a, a hope, uh, uh, the, the end of good health, whatever it is, something that ended and the death of which plunged you into the, the mystery and the darkness of death, in which you, you really felt that uh, it was over and there would be no way of, and, and no visible way, no, no, uh, no clear way of uh, starting again, of 
having a new life. And you have to go through as your Holy Saturday, your Good Friday, the death, and then you go through the Holy Saturday, which is getting over it, but not giving up, letting go. That's what you have to do if something has died, you have to let go of it. Otherwise, you're hanging on to something that is dead. You're hanging on to a memory, you're hanging on to a dream. Uh, so you have to let go if, if something has died, and then you, but not give up. Not give up on life, because life isn't going to give up on you unless you decide you want to give up on it. So I think we, we can all find uh, experiences of resurrection, greater or lesser, in our life. And in fact, when we begin to think of it like that, we see it's very sensible to celebrate Easter in the springtime because we are surrounded by new life coming out of the dead earth. It wasn't very long ago, if you'd come to Bear Island, there wouldn't have been, you know, the trees wouldn't have been greening as they are now. And uh, everywhere you look, uh, there, is, um, there is life. And I was walking around my garden with Sean Boylan this afternoon and uh, you know he was able to I was able to see the garden uh, through his eyes and every two steps he recognized a new plant and was excited to see it there and uh, very full of awareness of of this of the diversity and of the value and of the special properties of all of the herbs and plants that were growing around so this happens every year that, that there is a resurrection of the of uh, through the cycles of of the seasons and this is a very deep intuition in humanity and uh, that there is a cycle of death and rebirth at New Grange, which is a, um, a, a passage tomb uh, in Meath, uh, where Sean Bolling happens to come from, it was discovered, um, I think, uh, maybe the, in the beginning of the last century, uh, and unearthed and uh, excavated. And it's the most amazing. Uh, construction. It's 5,200 years old. That means 500 years before the pyramids were built and a thousand years uh, before Stonehenge in, in England. So 5,000 years ago, um, the uh, uh, farmers in the Boyne Valley there were um, decided to build this amazing building. And um, one of the uh, strange features of it, which was only discovered a bit later, was that there is a, a roof box from the, just above the entrance to the tomb, over the main, the door. Uh, and this, this little box, uh, little channel, uh, runs the whole uh, depth of the, uh, 
of the tomb and opens up at the other end in the burial chamber in the middle, which is, of course, a burial chamber with no windows and completely dark. So they were a bit puzzled for some time what this uh, kind of escape route uh, was for. And, and it was too small for a human being to, to pass through. But then they realized <coughs> that it was not a place to get out of, but a place through which the light would come at the win winter solstice, at so the beginning of the new year. So on December the 21st, and for a few days before and after, they had been able to measure this with such amazing accuracy and to construct it in this way, that they, um, the, the light of the, of, the new, of the new year, of the new sun, hits this uh, chamber and this, this, this passage and runs all the way through and bursts into the inner chamber, uh, which it lights up for about 17 minutes. So we don't know what they believed about that, or why they did it. We do know that this wasn't just a burial chamber, it was something more akin to what we would call a, uh, a cathedral. So it was a place probably of worship, a place with astrological significance for them, uh, a place for ceremonies. There was a lot of things going on around the stone circle that it's part of. So it was a place of, we, we don't know what they believe, but we, we know that it was a place where they had a faithful relationship or connection with the spiritual world, with the spiritual dimension of life. And central to this seems to have been this, th this recognition and uh, reverence for the, the rebirth of the year and the, the coming in of, of the new light of the, new, of the newborn sun. So a kind, certainly a kind of resurrection at the end of the longest night of the, of the year. That's when it happens. So uh, this this, uh, this is a, an, an insight into the reality of resurrection. Resurrection is part of our personal, psychological histories. Uh, we survive and, can, and, and hopefully flourish after deaths that we have passed through. And this insight into the fact, the truth of resurrection as part of the nature of reality is also present to us in this way through the great, the great symbols, the great mysterious traditions of wisdom that have gone before us. So where does this leave us in relationship to the story that we, we tell this evening about the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus? What is different about that story and this account of resurrection? 
Well, I think that's where we have to give ourselves over to the story and to the time necessary for reflection on it. This is where Lexio Divina is a very important part of our spiritual journey. We emphasize meditation strongly, of course, in our community, because I think that's the missing element in so much of Christian life. Why we take one of the reasons why we take belief uh, uh, to as, as, as the only defining uh, criterion of, of Christian life. That we're not really Christian unless we believe. Uh, so th that has happened because we have lost the contemplative dimension of faith and the contemplative practice of prayer. So it's very important that we, we recover that and that's work of our community is to try to make sure that that is shared widely in the church and in a spirit of unity. Um, but uh, there are other important elements in the uh, Christian spectrum of prayer that we need to, uh, to practice, to be aware of. And one of them is Lexio. And that is the, the careful, attentive, chewing of the word, that repetitive reading of a passage of scripture, uh, not trying to just explain it or understand it uh, intellectually uh, in terms of our beliefs, but to be open to the meaning of the story and to the, the spirit of the story. And it's quite amazing that these texts can do this if we give them the chance, we give them the time necessary to sit and do our lexia with them, to make ourselves familiar with them, and to allow them to become part of our minds and imagination. And then we begin to see how they teach us. And what they do, I think, is to allow the, 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 the truth and the meaning of passages which we didn't understand before to, uh, to pass into us or to open <coughs> ourselves uh, through, uh, to their meaning in this way. And then what happens is we realize that the resurrection is not just an intellectual problem or a historical problem or a religious <coughs> issue. It is something that uh, connects with us at the in the deepest kind of knowledge that we are capable of. So it's not just our heads, in other words, it's our hearts that have to uh, make sense or feel the meaning of the resurrection. One of the, one of the great minds of the 20th century, the great f philosopher uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein, um, was a uh, somebody who who made a huge contribution to philosophy, modern philosophy, by questioning the meaning of language and showing us how language uh, can become a kind of uh, room of mirrors, uh, 
a kind of infinite regress into definitions and meanings. We just keep on repeating the words. We don't really get anywhere. Anyway, a, a great mind and a great, a great uh, rather tortured genius in some ways, but th th this is what he says about the resurrection, and he, he probably would not have been a Christian in the way that the bishop I mentioned to find it, or maybe, maybe he, he was in that way. But, but this is what he says. What inclines even me to believe in Christ's resurrection? It is as though I play with the thought. If he did not rise from the dead, then he decomposed in the grave like any other man. He is dead and decomposed. In that case, he is a teacher like any other and can no longer help. And once more, we are orphaned and alone. So we have to content ourselves with wisdom and speculation. But if I am to be really saved, what I need is certainty, not wisdom, dreams, or speculation. And this certainty is faith. And faith is faith in what is needed by my heart, my soul, not my speculative intelligence. Perhaps we can say only love can believe the resurrection. Or it is love that believes the resurrection. So we move now in our triduum uh, into the culmination of the, of the Easter mysteries. And this is what Lent has all been about, building up to this, to this evening and in the morning. Um, and I think we only have to uh, be open in love and to feel a love for the um, the 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 to, to to what is being communicated to what is being expressed in the readings in the eucharist in the symbols and in the faith the collective faith the communal faith of the people that we are celebrating the Easter Vigil with tonight. <clears throat>